0: let's look at the book of Exodus. Jacob's descendants have moved from Canaan to Egypt and are suffering under the bondage of a new Pharaoh. After a period of about 400 years, they cry to God for deliverance. God responds by empowering Moses to stand before Pharaoh and brings 10 devastating plagues. After their redemption in the Passover, the Israelites leave Egypt, cross the sea, and journey to Mount Sinai. There, God reveals his covenant law and gives them the pattern for the building of the tabernacle. The name of the book comes from the Greek versions of the Old Testament, called the Septuagint, meaning the way out or departure. The Hebrew name for this book comes from the opening words, and these are the names, suggesting that Exodus is a continuation of the Genesis story. The book is set to explain how the descendants of Abraham became slaves and then were delivered. It tells the story of God liberating the people of Israel from slavery. It also serves as a bridge between the patriarchs and the creation of a nation. Two critical issues are often um, debated about the central event of the book, that is the Exodus. The date of the exodus itself is debated, some would say in the 5th century BC, others the 13th century BCE. Um, the the, The mentioning of the building of the city of Ramses, who was perhaps the pharaoh at the time, and other similar information helps experts try to fix the time of the book. The root of the Exodus, three possible roots, um, are often debated, in fact, as the way that the people of Israel left Egypt and moved toward the Promised Land. There are really three big theological themes in the book. The first is deliverance, the event of the Exodus. The second is covenant, seen in the giving of the law. And the third is the presence of God, seen in the description of the building of the tabernacle. There are a number of significant people and events mentioned in the book, Um, among them are the call of Moses, uh, the plagues, the exodus from Egypt, including the crossing of the Sea of Reeds, the covenant at Mount Sinai, often referred to as the Ten Commandments, and the instruction for the building of the tabernacle or the Tent of Meetings. let's talk a bit about these events um, a bit more in detail. The conditions in Egypt of the Israelites um, are rather uh, difficult in the beginning pages. The Egyptians have set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burden. They're forced to build the store cities of Pithom and Ramses. They're made to serve with harshness. Um, Their midwives are told to kill their sons. They even are told to throw them in the river. Um, In the midst of this, Moses is born from the tribe of Levi and is taken in and raised by the daughter of Pharaoh. He would have been educated in the Pharaoh's court. And you begin to see in these events the preparation of God upon his life for the assignment that would come. After Watching the Hebrews be beaten, he takes matters into his own hands, that is Moses does, and kills an Egyptian taskmaster for beating a Hebrew. He flees to Midian, which is probably um, in modern-day Saudi Arabia, and marries Zipporah, the daughter of Jethro, a priest there in Midian. While in Midian, he comes to Horeb, the mountain of God, which is another designation of Mount Sinai. According to... um, chapter 3 verses 6 and following during this encounter god reveals himself to moses he he we read that he describes himself as i am who i am and god even gives moses his personal name in hebrew this name is four letters we might transliterate these into english as y h w h because the name is four letters it is sometimes called the tetragrammaton this sacred name of God, sometimes pronounced Yahweh, in Jewish um but in Jewish religious services today, this name for God, this tetragrammaton, is not pronounced. They are concerned that pronounce it wrongly would defile the holiness of God. And so instead they substitute the word Adonai, translated Lord. Anytime the name of God comes up in the Hebrew Bible, The reader simply inserts the name or the word Adonai instead. This is why in your English translation, anytime the name of God is present, the text inserts an all-capitalized Lord, as in L-O-R-D. In this particular account, Moses makes four excuses for why he should not accept the assignment from God. God answers all of his excuses, and Moses reluctantly goes. Once Moses arrives to meet with the Pharaoh, things do not go as perhaps planned by Moses. And so Moses calls upon God to bring 10 plagues. The number 10 is considered a number of completion. They are um, given as a set of three sets, um, sets of three plagues, followed by and set apart from the 10th and final plague. The first nine plagues reveal a little more of God's power. Here's the organization of the plagues. The first are loathsome in nature. The Nile turns to blood. There's a, a vast number of frogs and then mosquitoes who are brought upon the people of Egypt. The second set are painful in nature. Flies swarm. There's a plague on the cattle. And then the people are covered in boils. The last set are all natural disasters. The plague of hail, the plague of locusts, the plague of darkness. The last plague is supernatural. The Passover, seen in Exodus chapter 12. During this night, um, the people of Israel painted the blood of lambs on their door frames to protect them from the death of the firstborn who would come to each of the homes of the Egyptians. There's a command to the Israelites to remember and celebrate this Passover when the angel of death passed over those homes that had the blood painted across their doors. This celebration commemorates the deliverance of the people of Israel. And on this day, they eat only unleavened bread, that is bread without yeast, because In the um, Exodus, the people had to leave quickly before there was time for the bread to rise. And this commemorates this leaving with great haste. The book of Exodus identifies four purposes for the plagues. One, to bring the people out of bondage. Two, to punish the Egyptians for their sins. Three, to teach the Egyptians that the Lord is God. And four, to teach the Israelites that the Lord is God. We're not exactly sure what route the Israelites took as they left Exodus. The location of Mount Sinai was lost after Elijah's day in 850 BCE. The area of the Sinai Peninsula is a triangle of land measuring about 150 miles across at the top and 260 miles along the sides, so that's about 23,000 square miles. Three routes are um, often suggested. The first, the northern route, where Moses makes a request to make a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to God. This suggests a location close to Goshen in the Nile Delta. They encounter Amalekites in this area, which would have typically lived in the northern Sinai region, and there are some poetic passages that seem to associate Mount Sinai with this area. The central route locates Mount Sinai in northwest Arabia. Moses' flight to Midian in Exodus is often associated with this area, and the account of God appearing at Mount Sinai has caused some to suggest there's an implied earthquake and volcanic activity which have been recorded in this particular area. The third route is the southern route. This is the traditional route because Exodus 13 tells them to move southward. Deuteronomy 1-2 locates Mount Sinai as an 11-day journey from Kadesh Barnea. This fits with putting the location in the southern peninsula. There are difficulties with all three of these routes. The biblical record describes the route in this way that they moved south to the Sukkot. Um, it defines the Sea of Reeds or Yamsuf, the bitter lakes. Um, it talks about the wilderness of Zin, where they ate the manna and the quail. After three months, they end up at Mount Sinai. The important part is that when they arrive, this is where the covenant between God and Israel is first formalized. That is, this is where God gives the people. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are also called the Decalogue, meaning the ten words. They're found in Exodus chapter 20 and repeated again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. God himself first writes these. Only two of the commandments are put in a positive manner. The fourth, remember the Sabbath, and the fifth, honor your father and mother. The other eight are all written as prohibitions. One through four, deal with the way that humans relate to God. 5 through 10, deal with the relationship between people. You can read these in either Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, so I won't go into detail about each of them here. But the Ten Commandments were just the beginning of the law for Israel. The Ten Commandments provided the general principles by which the people of God were to live. These principles were further explained and given more concrete and practical application in three major groups, or codes. These are the Covenant Code, which is found immediately following the first listing of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20-23, through the Deuteronomic Code, which you might guess is found in the Book of Deuteronomy, and the Priestly, or Holiness Code, which is mostly found in the second half of the Book of Leviticus. You can read more about these law codes in Chapter 4 of your text. The Lord gave Israel the law so that they might represent the Lord to all the other nations of the world. This continues the story that began in Genesis, where God begins demonstrating his restoration of all people through the one person, Abraham, who becomes the one nation of Israel. The book of Leviticus. Leviticus is the third book of the Pentateuch and is a manual of priestly regulations and duties, a handbook of instructions prescribing practical, holy living for the Israelite covenant community. God gives them instructions for the sacrificial system and the priesthood. The reminder of Leviticus teaches the people how to become ceremonially and morally pure. The emphasis in the book is on sanctification, service, and obedience. The book is set during the time that the Israelites are encamped at Mount Sinai after the giving of the law by Moses. There are three major themes here. The law, especially laws for proper covenant worship, the sacrifice for worship and removal of sin, and holiness. Be holy, for I am holy, becomes the central theme of the book. Sacrifice was important in the ancient Near East in general. Um, other groups in the ancient Near East used sacrifice to appease the wrath of the gods, to try to control what the gods would do, to assure the continuation of, god's, of the gods' blessings, um, sometimes to express gratitude or to bring about fellowship. There are five clear purposes of the sacrifices given in Leviticus 1-7. through The burnt offering to atone for unwitting sins the meal or grain offering to express allegiance to God the peace offering to restore or maintain fellowship with God the sin offering for repentance and removal of sin that is specific unwitting sin and the guilt offering to atone for unwitting sin requiring restitution in particular Chapter 16 talks about the Day of Atonement, still celebrated by the Jews as Yom Kippur, meaning um, the meaning of atonement is to cover over. This one day of the year when the high priest and only the high priest entered the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, the priest atoned for himself first. One goat was given as a sin offering for the people with the blood of that goat sprinkled on the altar. Then the priest would lay his hands on the head of a live goat, symbolic of transferring sin to that goat, and the goat was sent away, becoming the scapegoat. It symbolized the separation um, of the people from their sin. This was a type of Christ's once and for all sacrifice. Um, You can read about this in the New Testament in Hebrews 8-10. through While the people are still at Mount Sinai, um, we come to the book of Numbers, where the people receive additional directions before proceeding to the promised land. When they're on the verge of entering the land, their faith crumbles and God disciplines them by making them wander in the wilderness until the disbelieving generation dies out. This new generation then reaches Moab, the the, the doorway to the land of Canaan, and it's here that God begins to instruct the people who are about to inherit the land. The Book of Numbers highlights the wilderness testing and rebellion of the covenant people during the formative period of the Hebrew nation's relationship with God. The Book of Numbers spans roughly 40 years of Israelite history as they move from Sinai to their failure leading, and then their wanderings in the desert until they reach the bank of the Jordan River in Moab. And then the Book of Deuteronomy. Um, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is at the end of his life, and Joshua has been appointed as his successor. In Moses' farewell messages to the generations that grew up in the wilderness, Moses reminds them of God's dealings in the past, reviews the need for righteousness and integrity in the present, and blesses the people and views as he then views the promised land from Mount Nebo before his death. As a quick summary, you might think about these three primary points. One, he reminds them of God in the past, two, He reviews the need of righteousness in the present. Three, he blesses the people for the future. Deuteronomy 1 um, describes the Israelites on the plains of Moab. This is the farewell message by Moses addressed to this new generation of Israelites who were born in the wilderness. He then passes the baton to Joshua and establishes the covenant with the new generation. There is a dependence on the theology of the book of Deuteronomy and a common theme that begins here and moves into the next books in our Old Testament, the books of Joshua, Judges, the Samuels, and Kings. The common theological theme is retribution theology, that is, blessings and cursings dependent upon whether or not one obeys God. We see this theme throughout the Deuteronomic history. In verses like, Choose this day whom you will serve. There is a clear connection that obedience or righteousness brings blessings, while disobedience or sin brings punishment or cursing. The theory is that during the Babylonian exile, which we'll get to much later, Um, Multiple authors or editors compiled these books to explain the history of Israel and to encourage and instruct people in the exile to continue to choose obedience, which would bring blessing. One of the key passages in the book of Deuteronomy is in chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Verse 4 itself um, is a key expression of monotheism. Moses expressed here the idea that there is only one God, hence the idea of mono, meaning one, theism, God. Verse four says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Again, often called the Shema, meaning from the first word of this passage, hear. This passage encourages the people to love and obey the one true God. Further in this passage, in verses 5 through 9, you will recognize the instruction given to the people to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. The text goes on to say, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You may well see in Israel as we travel um, two continuing representations from this passage. In verse 8, when it says to tie these instructions as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, there's still some Jews today who have small leather containers that hold scriptures that they wrap around their forehead and their left arm during prayers. These are called phylacteries. You'll also often see um, little boxes that contain scriptures attached to the upper part of the doorpost as you enter Jewish homes. These are called mezuzah. You might be on the lookout for both of these as we travel. The creed of Israel, the Shema, um, became essential to the Jews and their daily ritual. They recited these two times a day. Jesus took the words of verse 5 as the first and greatest command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so the Pentateuch ends, having begun with the creation of the world, or the beginning of time and ending with the death of Moses on the cusp of the entry of the Israelites into the promised land.